The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships, and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for Healers. And this is The Practice of Being Seen. Welcome to episode four. Today, we're going to talk about happy couples fight. And this is a phrase that Rebecca mentioned to me, I don't even know how long ago, but as soon as I heard it, it was like an epiphany. The lights went on. Because suddenly, I understood my own relationship in a really new way. So Rebecca, happy couples fight? All the time. Yeah, there's this um, misnomer where we think that in order for couples to be happy, they have to get along all the time. And there's such a distruth in that. There's such an illusion that we serve ourselves when we believe that. Because the truth is that if we care enough about a thought, about an idea, about each other, about ourselves, then we're going to take that issue to heart. Mm. And it's going to really matter. And happy couples, the, the, the thing that's underneath a happy couple is that they know every day that they matter. They matter to themselves. They matter to each other. Their relationship matters. You know, as you say that, the first phrase that pops into my head is passions run high. Yeah, passions do run high. You know, and, and so when you have a lot of passion in a relationship, there's a lot of room to learn how to manage when there's conflict, right? When there's, when there's a thing that's, that's happening that's becoming explosive, we can work with that. We can, we can make the explosion into... Into the fireworks? Into the fireworks, yeah. We can, you know, you can, you can lean into that. You can learn how to use it and you can learn how to fight well, hmm. right? There's, there's effective fighting and there's not effective fighting. I want to get into that. We will. But, so you can learn how to fight well. But if you're in a relationship where you don't care enough to fight, where you just shut down, where the fight doesn't even happen, where you don't sometimes even talk, Mm. where you both just feel, eh. That's a more dangerous relationship than a relationship where you fight. And that brings people into your office as much as perhaps too much fighting does. Mm -hmm. Both do. Because what both come down to is the same core issue. Same more. There's one thing that all of us humans are doing here on this earth. We are all seeking to belong. Mm. Our children are seeking to belong from the moment that they're born. Our elders are seeking to belong until the moment they die. Mm. Everybody is seeking to belong. And what is a love relationship? What is a marriage? It's a commitment that you belong to each other. Right. But that's not necessarily in the marriage vows, is it? No. 
The way you frame that, though, in terms of kind of creating what sounds to me like a container of belonging mm-hmm. and creating that for each other, that feels like more of a sophisticated idea than what we're given by fairy tales in Hollywood and what love is supposed to look like. Well, we also have to remember that modern love, modern relationships that are built on love, this is still a brand new concept for humans. Yeah. We've never done this before. This is like a century-old baby. This is not something that we have much history in. Mm-hmm. For centuries, we were marrying contractually for a lot of different reasons. There were arranged marriages between families. We were marrying for security. We were marrying um, for protection. We were marrying because of business or money or trade. We were marrying because that's what we did. And it's how families survived. But we didn't survive alone. We had family around us in different ways. In terms of human evolution, this whole idea of picking one person who you love and marrying them and having everything in your life center around this one relationship and having this one relationship provide everything you need, Mm. your emotional needs, your physical needs, your sensual needs, your intimate needs on every level coming from this one person. This is a brand new idea. And guess what? It doesn't work so good. And I'm thinking you're really going to start to feel like you're not allowed to fight with that person when they're so important and so central. Because how can you mess it up with something like anger? Well, so what happens when you fight? There's this feeling sometimes when you don't agree, or at least it, it's a more immature feeling, right? Because you this can shift. So I'm, I'm going to set this up, but I'm going to set it up with a growth pattern in mind. So you can feel like when you fight with each other, it's the end of the world. Everything's going to crash down and you're going to abandon each other. You're going to leave because this is not working. Mm -hmm. The flip of that is that once you can get to a place where you can acknowledge that we don't have to agree with each other all the time, we don't have to see things eye to eye, that what matters here is that we're together whether or not we agree. Say more about that. Yeah. So if I let you know that our relationship is strong, our relationship is stable, and no matter what, I've got your back. And you reflect something really similar to me, that we know that we're not walking out of the door because we're arguing over how we raise our kids or what our financial situation is or what our debt is or whether or not we want to buy a certain couch or who is elected president, mm-hmm. right? That What comes down to at the end of the day is our relationship, is that we are each other's support, that we have each other's back. If we know that, if we commit to that daily, if that becomes a practice, then the fight itself matters less because we can tolerate the disconnection because we know that the connection lies underneath it. It's when we don't know that connection lies there. It's when we don't trust it that all of those little severs feel really big. So how does seeing and being seen come into this? Mm -hmm. Okay, so in order to feel like you matter, in order to feel like you belong, and in order to know and trust that this person has your back and you have theirs, what do you need? I need to be listened to. Mm-hmm. I need to be standing in the kitchen having one of those Friday night conversations after a long week. And I need 
my beloved to put down the spatula and look at me, opposed to worrying about making dinner. And I need to be seen as I'm heard. Yeah. You need to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. You need that acknowledgement. I mean, there are so many times, I, I'm thinking of a moment that happened in my kitchen this morning with my daughters, where they were asking for some kind of treat before breakfast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that they were going to eat breakfast. And there's a part of me that's okay with giving them a treat. It was tiny. And so I said to them, well, you have to come here and you have to look me in the eyes and say to me that you're going to eat your breakfast and you have to mean it. Mm. I needed their full acknowledgement and it was a teaching moment there because I didn't just want to, uh-huh, which they're really capable of doing. They're, they're little. Right. But I wanted them to really be present and say, yes, we're going to eat our breakfast just like we're promising you. Mm-hmm. I know that this is a divergence from talking about partnership, but it's not. Well, you know what it brings up, and it's, it's something that I think about a lot, is that power of eye contact. And, you know, it's important with our kids, and it's, it's an interesting struggle, I think, with our children as we're kind of teaching them the value of looking someone in the eye. But let's talk a little bit about what it means to really look your partner in the eye and what's in that. I want to, but before I go there, I, I just want to come back to the kids for a minute. Sure. And that's because where do we learn about relationships? From watching our parents. From watching our parents, from interacting with our parents. Mm-hmm. And so I was teaching my kids a really important message this morning. Mm-hmm. That in order for them to feel like someone else understands them and gets them and wants to work with them, they have to show up in that way, right? So I'm trying to mold my little girls to being good partners with whomever they choose when they're adults. But the only way that I get to do that, the only way that I get any influence over them is in the relationship I have with them and the relationship they witness me having with their father. Right. Bring me back to your question. I'm thinking about the value of eye contact and (sighs) not just the value, but the power of eye contact and what it means to give and to withhold it. I know you have some of your work really specifically focuses on what it means to look one another in the eye. Yeah. But eye contact can also be really challenging. You know, um, they say our eyes are the windows to the soul. Right. Right. And so depending on your own upbringing, your own history, any kind of what I like to call adverse events that have happened in your life, you're going to have a different ability to tolerate and take in being seen in that way, being looked at. And there are times where that might overpower you. It might feel like too much. So I sometimes start couples with this small exercise of 10 or 60 seconds of eye contact, right? Just look into each other's eyes for 10 seconds or just look into each other's eyes for 60 seconds or three minutes or 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. however long you can tolerate. And if you can't tolerate even the 10 seconds, then we do it differently. I love that implicit in that is it's okay if it doesn't feel all right right now. Yeah, we work up to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had couples who can't even do the 10 seconds and so... I stand them back to back Hmm. and their backs touching. I ask them to focus on feeling each other breathe. 
right? Can they feel their partner's presence through their breath, through their back while they're breathing? You know, they're doing that together. Mm -hmm. That's just one way of showing up and, and sensing each other because that's what this is about. It's a sensory experience. When we're looking with our eyes, it's a sensory experience, but we can have that in other ways. So that's making me think about, you know, those late night conversations you have in bed that maybe you go and cover territory you'd never be able to talk about. You go deeper day. in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> because there are some conversations that you can't make eye contact for. The eye contact itself is too piercing. It's too deep. It's too interrupting. Mm. Right? There are times when I'm sitting in my office with clients and I sit them on two couches across the room from each other so they can see each other. Because if they're sitting shoulder to shoulder... There's a lot unseen. Their body language tells me everything, but they might be missing it. There's and so much choreography that goes so on at therapy appointment. <laughs> right. There's so much. And it has totally transformed and shifted the way therapy happens in my office. Mm -hmm. in, a, in an old office of mine, I only had space for one couch and a chair for me. And so my clients had to sit side by side. And when conflict happened, it felt big. And they were missing a lot of cues from one another. They weren't seeing each other. So there was something that was really missing. In a couple who really would have probably wanted to look in the eye because they were ready for that? They could have been coached through it. They right. weren't alone. I was mm -hmm. there with them. Right. As, my, as I evolved, I got a new space where my couples are now able to sit across from each other. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're able to see each other different. They're able to see little subtle shifts. They're able to see when their partner sighs. They're able to see things, you know, like, all right, let me take this back. You ever driving in the car with your partner and you're sitting side by side in the car, kind of shoulder to shoulder, mm -hmm. and you might either be having some of the best conversations of your life in there or some of the worst, Yeah. right? And you know, when you're having some of those worst conversations, part of it is because you can look away from each other. Part of it's because you're not looking at the little things like when you roll your eyes at each other or something along those lines. Absolutely. Right. That's part of it. Because if you were to have that same conversation actually looking at each other, it shifts everything. You can't hide behind an idea. You can't hide behind a statement. You actually have to respond to your partner's facial cues. You know, that speaks directly to the experience my husband and I are having right now as we're just very consciously together stepping into saying, wow, we can't really wing it anymore with this parenting stuff as our children are getting older. And last night after bed, the kids, after the kids had gone to bed, we came downstairs and we essentially debriefed and we sat across the dining room table from each other. And I was so aware, and I said it out loud, I was so aware of that. The, our conversation's quality was so different because we weren't sitting on the couch next to each other, either looking at a blank TV or a muted TV that was stealing a little bit of our attention. Because that's usually, you know, kids are in bed, we go hit the soft spot and talk and kind of try to decompress. Last night, we consciously sat and spoke to one another in a way that felt like why haven't we been doing this for the last 13 years? Because something magical just happened and it was about changing the geography. So I really appreciate that. The, the change in geography can, can make huge shifts, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't have to be a big deal. It could be a kitchen table. It could be going on a walk, but actually just turning and facing each other to have a conversation. You know, it, you don't need specific furniture in order to do it. Right. Um, Stan Tatkin, he trains a lot of relationship therapists. He 
puts couples and the therapist all in rolling shares so they can move themselves in space and change where their positioning is and be able to face each other. And when they need more space from one another, make that shift as well. And it's interesting because I think we're probably always watching each other's cues and what happens like that. Because my first thought was, wow, I'm in the middle of a conversation and someone sees me roll away from them, then they're going to really know how I'm feeling. So, okay, this is, this is such an interesting topic here. Okay, so humans have forgotten how to read each other's mirror neurons. And it's something we do on a really unconscious level. But there's this funny thing that happened. Once our language evolved, we stopped reading body language. We stopped reading the more subtle signs. And that's why now, like especially in politics and all that type of stuff, people can say one thing, but the message is really something different. And I bring my dog into therapy sessions because she can help teach how to read those signs, right? She can lay down next to somebody on the couch and they can be anxiously patting her belly, patting her belly, patting her belly. And she's just kind of sitting up like, oh my God, and she's looking at me and I'm seeing a little bit of the whites of her eyes and I'm like, this isn't good. And so I cue that person, like, stop with the hand. Just put your hand down. Mm. And the next thing I know, her head flops over on their lap and her eyes close and her mouth opens just a little bit like the jaw relaxes. And I'm now able to talk to my client about looking at her cues. What are the differences? Our partners do the exact same stuff. I know when my husband is thinking about something, he sticks his tongue out. And he doesn't even know he's doing it. And when he's angry about something, his lips get kind of pursed. And he doesn't know he's doing it. But if I'm watching for those little cues, I know a lot about his internal experience without him even having to tell me. Mm -hmm. And that tells me a lot about how to approach him. Our kids make those internal cues. We make those internal cues. When we can start tuning into, what does it feel like when I furrow my brow? I heard, this was one of the best experiences I had as a mom, was when my, my oldest was a toddler, she would start furrowing her brow and go, Mommy, why do you do that? <laughs> oh, Cued wow. me in a little bit. Mirror neurons and actual mirroring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the mirror neurons, they're, they're how we connect. Right. We are built to connect. And our, face, our faces are probably one of the biggest things that we, we use for a connection, right? When you hold a newborn baby and you smile at them and they try to smile back at you, right? Those are mirror neurons at work. Right. Right? We try to reflect each other. Our dogs know how to read our mirror neurons. They, they can mirror it with us. They don't have the same facial muscles, but they know what we're trying to say. So all of this seems like really great background to really dive back into thinking about the role of conflict in relationships, especially the role of conflict in healthy relationships. Yeah. So in a healthy relationship, conflict has a purpose, right? That purpose is to reground you. It's to help you remember, mm -hmm. A, your relationship, that you both matter. And that both of your opinions matter. And that that's not going to, the conflict itself is not going to be the, th the thing to turn you away from each other. Right? They actually say that Gottmans, um, who have been researching couples for over, and love relationships for over four decades, they say that 69% of the time, all of the arguments that you have in your relationship are going to be perpetually unresolvable. And this is good Good news. Okay, you have to help us with that because <laughs> a little part of me just went, ugh. 
Right. Because it's an invitation to shift the focus of the conflict and use it as an opportunity to remember the two of you together, to remember the commitment that you're making to being in this relationship, that it's not about the fight. If over three quarters of the time, the fights you have are going to be something where it's not one of you winning versus the other, then that's not, that's not the focus. It's not about winning the fight, not with your partner. It's about being together. It's about seeing each other and seeing your opposing points of view and gathering some information and learning more about what matters to each other. Marisa, are there any fights that you and your husband have on the regular? Like it's, it's an every, this is, this is the thing. Well, I can name something that I think we're starting to learn to fight about less. What's that? My constitutional incapacity to keep the kitchen clean. (laughs) And as I've told my husband many a time, I am good at other things, but that does not actually get the crumbs off the counter we've found. Especially with two little ones needing and wanting. Who are just going to put more crumbs on the counter. So that's sort of my take on it is, you know. So I love the idea that you can actually grow and see one another in these 69% of unresolvable arguments. But you know, I'll, I'll admit, I, I hear that, that figure and it feels a little staggering. How do you get from sniping over at each other and feeling like you can't fix it to saying, oh, this is actually an opportunity for seeing one another and for growth? So this is where we come back to the practice of being seen. Because we have to start with noticing. We have to start with noticing what's showing up within ourselves and we have to start noticing the patterns that are showing up in our relationships. When we can start noticing those patterns, even if it's five days later, if it's five minutes later, if it's in the middle of the conflict, when we can make it a practice to start noticing that stuff and be present with it and tolerate the discomfort that comes with it, then we can start showing up for ourselves and our relationships in a new way. We can start looking at the messy kitchen and going, oh yeah, the kitchen's messy again. Sorry about that, sweetie. Let me see what I can do about getting those crumbs off the counter now that you see them, right? And we can start, your partner, can, your, your husband can look at the counter and he can go, let me help, right? It doesn't have to be the same issue once we can acknowledge like this is that thing that we always fight about. And it doesn't mean that we don't love each other. It means that we have a different pacing in our day. It means that I'm running around with the kids doing 12 different things and I don't have a chance to get the crumbs off the counter. It means that, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not paying attention to you or your needs or your desires or your feelings or what does it make you feel like? Let's talk about that. Let's get underneath it. Let's look at what the, those patterns that present themselves in our relationships are and see how can I hold you in different ways? That really seems to say to me too, it's an opportunity to say, I didn't understand that was so important to you because I need to be honest, it wasn't that important to me. I value these other things. But when I see what you value, even if it is a clean countertop, that represents a lot more to me. Right, because we start talking about our feelings and needs Mm -hmm. and we, we move away from pointing fingers and from being critical and from being on the defensive 
right? Those are all the relationship killers. We, we move away from things like um, walking out of the room on one another or shutting down or not having a conversation. When we actually start tuning inward and looking on the inside, then we start seeing like, oh, I have feelings and needs. Mm. And if I can address them, if I can look at them and tolerate them, then I can open a dialogue around them. Then that can be the conversation that we start having instead of the conflict. I like that. That's the opportunity. That's the invitation. Right. And that's the practice of seeing yourself and seeing each other. So when you find yourself kind of standing at what you know is the edge of an argument, and you kind of, you know, in the same way you kind of feel like the flu is coming on, you feel an argument coming on, what would you recommend? Make a joke about it. Hmm. Bring each other's attention to, here's that argument. We fight about this all the time. Can we do it differently this time? Can we try? Right. Right. Can we go out to dinner? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know what you're going to say. Right. And I know what I'm going to say, and you do too. So let's skip this. Right. Let's talk about what we really feel and what we really need. What's underneath this? Right. Why is this coming up? Why, why now? What's mm-hmm. the trigger? Because it's not the crumbs on the counter. Right. Right. What is it really? It sounds You'd- like it gets you to the makeup kissing a lot sooner. <laughs> 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 so does eye contact, by the way. Is that? I wish we had a, a figure on <laughs> situations of eye contact between committed couples oh, leads to kissing to, X try, percent of the time. <laughs> try to make eye contact with your partner for 60 seconds and not want to kiss them when it's over. It, it can happen that you don't want to, right. but chances are you're going to feel a lot more gushy towards them. Yeah, I like that. So I kind of love that we're ending this conversation with a kiss and thinking about that desire to connect is so much at the heart of what we're looking for. And that's what we walk through so many of these arguments to get back to. Yeah, I think all of these relationship arguments need to be ended with a kiss, don't you? I think so. (laughs) I think so. As we wrap up today, I want to look back at what you shared in terms of the very first thing you often ask clients to do, and that's to slow down and notice the patterns. And I've heard you talk about these steps to creating a healthy relationship and how that's often the first. And I'm excited that we'll be able to share those um, in the show notes because I think it's a really great resource that'll get people on that journey towards saying conflict is going to happen and it can be okay. Mm-hmm. And we can grow together. Yeah, I think conflict is an invitation for growing together. And we have another invitation for you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, we ask you to subscribe to the practice of being seen on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to continue this journey with you. Thank you. Take care. Music written and performed by Christopher Ferris and produced at Kidneystone Studio.